Well, good morning again, and uh, Merry Christmas to each of you. I'm so glad to be here with you. As we gather this morning, we're continuing our celebration of Christ's Advent, and this morning we shift from uh, celebrating in expectation, and we celebrate now in reality. We gather in the reality that He has entered our world, and our world will never be the same. We're continuing our series this morning on the places of Christmas, and we're catching yet another glimpse of how God inhabits our world in ways that we rarely expect. We're going to be looking at the fields this morning, so let me read our passage, and I'll pray for us, and we'll get started. This is the fifth lesson. And there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we gather this morning because you entered our world at great, great cost to yourself. And we are reminded this morning that you are the great shepherd. You are the one who binds up the brokenhearted. You gather those that have been scattered. And Jesus, this morning, there are no doubt those of us here that need to be bound up in your love. Not only here, but all across this world. Jesus, we pray specifically for your church in Nigeria this morning. For those whose lives were cut short in violence as they celebrated the reality that you are Lord of this world. For their families who are now left to try and sort through death and destruction in the midst of a Christmas celebration. Bind up their hearts, for we are one body. Jesus, we ask that you would be present with us this morning. Speak to our hearts as the good shepherd who calls our names. We ask this in your name. Amen. I started already. We'll see. We'll see what happens. This morning, as we look at this passage, I'd like us to look at three things uh, really quickly. We're going to look this morning at Christmas people, 
Christmas proclamation and Christmas pomp. We'll begin with Christmas people. When I was 11 years old, I got my first job. And one of the many beauties of growing up in a a very traditional old school family in a very small town in rural Oregon is I don't think they're aware of child labor laws. So as an 11 year old, I got a job as a janitor. And uh, my sisters and I, we would go and clean this office park that, that was owned by this large, heavy construction company. And we'd go do that a couple times a week, and I'd have some spending money. And, uh, for those of you that, that maybe are or have been in the custodial arts career field, you know it's not, it's not really a horrible job, right? It, it, kind of has, it kind of has the garbage man idea attached to it, but it's really not that bad. In fact, latex gloves have really improved just about every task that a janitor or a custodian would have to do. But one thing that I realized, even as an 11-year-old, that as the janitor of, of this heavy construction company, no one really wanted to know my opinion about how to pave roads or, or how to do the, you know, the grades and that sort of thing. The, the head of this company was never going to come up to me and say, Steve, what, we're really dealing with a problem here in one of our construction sites. What do you think? No one was asking me for advice or direction. Now, there's some discussion. If, if you were to read uh, nerdy books like I do, there, there is discussion about shepherds in ancient times and what they were really like. And some people are convinced that they were great people, hardworking, not really that looked down upon in society. But others have found records that, that suggest that shepherds were looked at as just filthy scoundrels of society, the, the kind of the outcasts. And honestly, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I doubt that shepherds were crooks, but they weren't exactly the tastemakers of ancient society. No one was going up to the shepherds and asking for their advice. No one was going into uh, the Nordstrom of the day and saying, do you guys have any of that shepherd apparel? I'd really like to dress like those guys. These were blue-collar workers. They had, they had very little, honestly, that society valued. They had very little economic power, very little social power. But these are Christmas people. They're not educated. They're not wealthy. They're not connected. But this is how God works. His message is not just for creative people. It's not for smart people or good-looking people. His message is for night shift shepherds. These are the people who are the first witnesses of the message, the first to hear the story, the first to see the king. And as Luke sets up this birth announcement for us of the king of all things, what he's telling us right away so that we can't miss it is that this kingdom, in the kingdom of this new king, there is absolutely no room for self-importance. Christmas people are people that have no business being in the presence of royalty. They're people that have never been to Rome. They've never seen a Caesar. They've never been invited into palaces or places of greatness. These are people who dress funny, they smell funny, and they sleep outside. And what's so amazing about the fact that these kind of people are Christmas people is wrapped up in the content of the Christmas proclamation that they receive. The Christmas proclamation that Luke records for us has a depth of meaning that could easily be missed in a casual reading. The way that Luke sets up this episode is to intentionally set up a message for us within a cultural framework 
and a scriptural framework that the early church would have grabbed onto right away. Early Christianity would have understood very clearly what Luke is doing. But if you have grown up like me, and perhaps this was the story that you read every Christmas Eve, and you're a nine-year-old, and you're kind of just waiting to open your presents, you might miss some of the depth of meaning here. So I'd like to just look quickly at what was this Christmas proclamation. On the one hand, it's very much set within cultural understandings. This type of royal birth announcement was lodged within Roman society. When a new Caesar was proclaimed emperor or had a child, there was this royal declaration that went out, and it was a message of good news. This good news would be proclaimed throughout the empire that with the arrival of this emperor, finally, the Pax Romana would fully be established. Peace, as far as earth could stretch, under Rome's watchful eye. And in fact, the the cult surrounding the emperor of Rome was so pervasive in Roman society that he was often worshipped as a god. He was referred to as a son of the gods, the bringer of life and happiness. This emperor would have the power of the legions at his fingertips, the wealth of the world at his table. The declaration to the entire civilized world was this, good news, Caesar reigns. But Luke turns this on its head, and through the mouths of angels, what Luke declares to us is that the real gospel, the real good news, is that this tiny, helpless baby born in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by smelly animals and smelly shepherds, he is the Lord of the world. Last week, we saw that Herod, the king in Jerusalem, felt a threat at the birth of this strange new king. And now we see that this threat is going to ripple out throughout the entire Roman Empire because what Luke is telling us and what these angels are telling the shepherds in no uncertain terms is that Caesar is not Lord. His reign is smoke and mirrors compared to the true king. And what we have to realize is that this Christmas proclamation still contains a threat to our own culture. We have to realize that it is not acceptable to allow the powers that be to co-opt Christianity or the church to bolster their own campaigns, their own political ideologies, their own ambitions. Caesar and Jesus can't both be Lord of the world. That was true in the first century, and it's true in the 21st century. It's just that Caesars have changed the way they look. They've changed their names. So if your heart is captured by materialism, If you are entrenched in a system that values stuff more than giving flourishing life to children or disenfranchised people around the world, then Jesus is not Lord of all in your eyes. The same could be said with the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, sex, power. All of these things are all wrapped up together. And if, on the other hand, you think that by abstaining, If you think that by rejecting the material world, you can achieve true life or nirvana or whatever you want to call it, then you don't actually see Jesus as Savior. And you don't see him as the one who inhabits the material world in order to redeem it. You don't see him as Lord of all. The Christmas proclamation undercuts all of our cultural assumptions about who is important or what is important. Even those of us that are a part of the religious establishment, and perhaps especially us, we must be willing to see that the Christmas proclamation undercuts our assumptions about God. It undercuts our assumptions about how he works in this world. We have ideas about how God should do things, and if we let him, if we really let him, he will surprise us every time. The church 
has been called to carry on the Christmas proclamation, which critiques the world's use of power, not co-ops it. The Christmas proclamation isn't just situated within broader culture, though. It's also situated within God's revelation of himself throughout time, through Scripture. The shepherds are told that a Savior has been born in the town of David, and he is Messiah, the Lord. This is perhaps one of the most loaded sentences in all of Scripture. In a few short words, the divine messenger here sums up the gospel message. And and Luke actually makes this very, very clear. He, He says it to us. This is the good news. And the word he uses there is the word that we use for gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus is king and Caesar is not. But it's more than that. It's also that Jesus is the Davidic king. He's born in the town of David. He's the one who was promised. When God made a covenant with David thousands and thousands of years before, he promised him that one day he would have a descendant who would reign on his throne without ceasing. He would rule forever. Jesus is that Davidic king of promise. But he's also the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, the one filled with the Spirit who would then pour out the Spirit onto his people as the prophets foretold. This Messiah has been looked for and anticipated for centuries. And throughout Scripture, there have been small hints given about who he would be, what he would look like, what he would do, but it's always been shadows and mystery until now. And now Luke is saying, it's him. It's him. He's here. The waiting is over. The one for which all of creation has been groaning has finally arrived. But it's more than that. He's a Davidic king. He's the long-awaited Messiah, and he's also a savior. So the proclamation that goes out to these shepherds and that continues to go out into the entire world is that whether you realize it or not, you are on the precipice of disaster. Whether you know it or not, you have been walking about in a state of death, and you need life. You are in need of a savior, not a shot in the arm, not a teacher with inside knowledge, not a helper or someone to make you feel better about yourself, not even a moral example. Because when you're drowning, you don't need swim lessons. You need someone to drag you to safety. You need someone to save you. Not only is Jesus king over and above Caesar, not only is he the Davidic king, the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel, Not only is he the long-awaited Messiah, the one that was promised as far back as the Garden of Eden, the very, very beginning, and not only is he the Savior, the one who can set this world to rights, but he is the Lord. And this means that he is sovereign, yes, but it means so much more than that. What Luke is doing is he's, he's reaching back into Israel's history and the way that they used words. And when he calls Jesus the Lord, he is identifying Jesus with Yahweh, the God of Israel, the very name of God, the one who created everything. He is saying, Jesus is Yahweh. He isn't just the one of promised, of promise. He is the one who promised. He is the one who did the promising to begin with. He is God, the eternal, unchangeable, ancient of days. He is the one who sits in the heavens with the earth as his footstool, and he has no need of water, no need of air or food, for he has life in himself. He is life. And this, this is the Christmas pomp. The curtain gets pulled back for these shepherds, and for one moment, they experience the worship and exaltation that takes place within the heavenly realm without ceasing. 
Glory, glory, glory to God in the highest. The one who has created all things, sustains all things by his power. The one who has uncountable angels to sing his praises. The one who possesses beauty. The one from whom all others are derivative. The one who exists from eternity past. This is pomp and glory, and it's everything it should be, and it's nothing that it should be. It's absolutely nothing like it should be, because there he lies, relying on a human mother for food and life. The one who designed the human lung and the air in our earth system so that we would be able to breathe, now relies on those very same lungs that he designed and uses them as only a baby could. And he uses those lungs every day of his life until they give out. As he hangs, suffocating on a cross, giving up his life for people that will honestly never really get it. And we never will. We never will really get it. The depths of the majesty and the riches and the wisdom of God will take an eternity to begin to fathom. And yet here we are on Christmas morning. Some of us are rejoicing. Some of us are confused. Some of us are doubtful and many of us are just exhausted. But friends, Christmas is for people like us. It's for people in here and out there and all across this world. Broken, sad, selfish, sick little people. And the proclamation of Christmas is that God himself has entered in to our sad little world to bring us life, to heal us. And all the glory, all all the pomp and all the ritual and tradition that we add to this season, all the colors and the lights and the food that we use to try and remind ourselves that there is something more that can all be well and good, but all the sign that we ever needed has already been given. There is a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, and he is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the king over this entire universe, and he is God himself. And so now we, as Christmas people, go back out into this world and share this amazing message with joy all over our hearts. That's what Christmas is really all about. Let's pray. Jesus, may we never lose a sense of wonder that though you are the eternal God, the the creator of all things, you entered into our world as a baby. You humbled yourself. You relied upon your parents. You relied upon the aspects of this world that you created for your very life. You who have life in himself. And you call us now to give up our grasp on our own life, to come to you and to find life in you. We thank you for what you have done for us, and we ask that we would leave this place as people that have been enlivened, just as the shepherds went out, that we would go out and declare with joy that you have come and you have changed everything. We pray this in your name. Amen.